What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at Will on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Back Tuesday episode, kind of kind of confusing Saturday, Tuesday episode instead of the normal, uh, you know, Friday, Monday, but a couple days off. I think everyone got a little refresh from a pretty awful Black Friday. Great weather, good tailgating weather. It was fun, uh, fun time out at MetLife until the game started. Um, Brad Spielberg in his weekly spot. Brad, how are we doing today? Great, like you said, a, a very impressive Bears W. The last night's game was was beautiful football. Really pushed the sport forward and and taught a lot of people. You know, coaches across the league are are, are stealing plays out of the offensive playbooks of both the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, the Bears ran one more screen pass. I was gonna, I was gonna commit. Like, I don't even know what was gonna happen. It was just, it was hard to, it was hard to watch. Um, it's just another peg in the 2021 uh, draft class of guys that that class has become really bad weekend. Uh, <laughs> that bad last two weekends. And not that the year is going any differently, but it's Trevor Lawrence. Who's, who's good, not great yet. And four guys who are either awful or don't play. Um, so highly unfortunate for the, the people that didn't take the other 12 all pros in that class. Um I want to, we'll get to that actually a little bit later. I want to kind of just get re finish recapping this Dolphins game. Any like other thoughts, you know, on this game? Was it kind of what you expect? Like, is there anything you even make of this game? It's a mess. Yeah, I mean, I think even coming into the game before it even started, like, you know, I think the the thing that jumps out, you know, the Alan Lazard healthy scratch, which frankly probably should have happened, you know, even prior to this, he simply has not been good. Um, and you just kind of continue to see a little bit of the, you know, some of the Joe Douglas misses or the, you know, general manager Aaron Rodgers, which I'm saying that facetiously, but that is also kind of the deal you make when you make that move. So that is still Joe Douglas, you know, if he's going to understand all that comes with making that decision. But yeah, just like, you know, obviously Tim Boyle is a career backup third stringer. Go Google his college stats and you can wonder why he's even in the NFL to begin with. Um, I think he never had more touchdowns and interceptions in a college career. I don't think he ever completed 60% of passes, but anyway, uh, so like, that's like, you knew that coming in, like, it's going to be a tough, a tough outing where a guy needs to be elevated by the supporting cast around him. And that's just not a reality of this offense in 2023 for the Jets. So, you know, defense played well, kept them in the game for the most part. I mean, the most jet sequence of all time, you know, where they, they, uh, throw the uh, 99 yard pick six uh, on the hail Mary, and it was a heartbreaker because it like was a football game before that. And, and I feel like that just kind of took the wind out of the sails and kind of ended it. Uh, but yeah, like just another, you know, another Jets out and defense showed up at the pick six. And, and, and I mean, Tua looked awful in this game as well. It's just tough, you know, when you need, you almost need the quarterback to elevate the cast around him, which was what Rodgers was going to do. And it kind of flips it so far to the extreme when then you need the cast to elevate the quarterback and this current sporting cast is just not capable of doing that. Yeah, we <clears throat> there was a couple of things that kind of happened pregame. Um, Makai Becton, Dwayne Brown's activated, but not starting. Carter Warren, I, I didn't even see how he graded out from a PFF perspective. Just live the last two weeks has been pretty solid. Like, thrown into action against two pretty good defenses. And again, I don't want to make a mountain out of a, or whatever, mountain out of a molehill, whatever the, the saying is. Like, let's see him play like four or five games before – you know, start saying, oh, the Jets found a nice steal in the fourth round. He was a guy in college I liked, was pretty pro-ready. Obviously, some injuries and and things of that nature, fifth, six-year seniors. That's, you know, those guys obviously don't go as high in the draft. But, you know, fourth-round pick, um, no really strong pad level and, and strength. And you can kind of see that when he plays. 
I thought he's done a nice job. Again, there, there's little things. Joe Tittman had a really nice day at center. It's, you know, didn't 45 pass reps, didn't allow pressure. Um, you know, there's little things you point to. Garrett Wilson finally gets in the end zone. Um, you know, like there's things like that, but you know, no Allen, Jason Brownlee was I made a couple caught the ball. Um, you know, so obviously an upgrade over what Lazard's been doing. Lazard getting a healthy scratch to me was one of those things where this is my a frustration of mine, and I think you probably can feel this with the Bears at times too. Salah gets a lot of heat for not publicly criticizing guys. People feel like the Jets are too undisciplined, and you know, guys that make mistakes don't get um, you know, punished and things like that. Since the Raiders game, maybe that's a fair criticism. But since the Raiders game, they've cut Michael Carter, who was making a lot of errors. They've basically benched CJ Uzama entirely. They've benched Alan Lazard. He's a healthy scratch. Randall Cobb's a healthy scratch. Um, a lot of these guys that like have made a lot of have were having a lot of issues on offense don't even play anymore. So, like, say what you want. You know, Carl Lawson wasn't playing well. He's a healthy scratch. Like the Jets are healthy scratching $40, 50000000 million worth of their salary cap, which is a indictment on a lot of different things. But I don't know. It's pretty ballsy for Robert Sala to, to say, we're struggling and I'm still going to bench all these guys that are worth making a ton of money. So that was pretty crazy that you saw Lazard, you know, healthy scratch. I know people made a big thing out of the soccer ball stuff. I would, you know, that's not, that has nothing to do with it. Um, but then Mikai Becton, as I mentioned, couldn't go short week. You can't blame him there. It just felt like, not that they had no shot going in this game, but even at 10, 10 6, you're like, maybe they'll hang in this. It'll be a weird, a lot of weird Jets games. The fail Mary thing, I think, is annoying from the aspect of if you're a Jets fan, this always happened. These things always happen on prime time. They never happen. Maybe the Raiders game a couple years ago is the only one that like didn't happen on prime time. Ever there one, it's the butt fumble and the fail Mary and Rogers Achilles. And it's just like it's the worst timing of stuff. I think that's where the frustration is. And the NFL account obviously runs with it. And three days later on an NFL Sunday, still tweeting about it. Um, get lost, whoever who did that. That's so annoying. Um, did you take anything from like some of the young guys in the Jets or you know, any of this stuff. I mean, you can see the frustration boiling over on um, even on the defensive side of the, you know, the field goal, obviously uh, we started fight. Michael Clemens gets ejected. That's a second straight week of you know personal fouls and kind of getting in fights and stuff. Say what you want. I just got to clean that stuff up. I get the frustration. It's a bad look. It's a bad look when the bears, you know, the bills, the bills players in the crowd, it's a bad look every week. If you're getting a personal foul, good for CJ Mosley. But anyways, do you take anything like positive from this game? Cause I know there's not a lot, but um there was a few things at times that were paused. Brandon Eccles, by the way, second pick six of two in three uh, three games against him. Hell yeah, there you go. No, I think you, you the key you touched on there was like Saul's not going to get on the podium and like call dudes out and like like bash players. Yeah, he's going to not play them either either not play them a lot of snaps or outright make them healthy and active. That's the discipline, the punishment, or whatever you're looking for. That is it. Like there's no. You know, that's worse for them than getting chirped at a podium. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned it. So, we had Tipman with zero pressures allowed. Carter Warren, only three pressures allowed. Both those guys did get beaten on reps where they did not – a pressure was not generated, but they did lose their one-on-one. So, they're, that's why their grades aren't great, but they're both fine. Um, and I think on film you saw, you know, like, technique sound, encouraging things you can build on going forward. Like, I think the one – I think one of the beaten by defenders we have for Tipman, I think was a stunt or a twist that was just well executed on the interior with Zach Sealer, if I remember it correctly, when I was watching that tape. So, 
Yeah, and then, yeah, like some young players on defense also making some plays. I know we were texting, like, what the heck is Jordan Whitehead doing at one point? But um, I thought Tony Adams had a good game in this game. Um, I think I remember a pass breakup or just him being in good position um, and forcing Tua to, to go a different direction. That may have been the second interception, the non-pick six. Um, so, yeah, like there, there was a lot of positive in this tape, no question about it. It's just, yeah, like there's just too much to to overcome right now. And look, Miami's a good football team. Like you're, you're not w- winning that game and beating that team without a very good performance. Um, you got some of that. But but yeah, like I mentioned the, the fail Mary, even the missed extra point on the first touchdown to make it 10-7 and 10-6. I was like, I was watching with Jets fans. Like it's part of my family. And it was just like, it was just so deflating. It, like it's just like shit like that is just so hard to come back from. Zerline's literally been like perfect all year. I think he's missed one kick. Um, leave the Chiefs game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, look, I, I think that's something like there's a couple of things there that look, the Jets play Miami again in three weeks or whatever, two and a half weeks. The next two games are, let's be realistic, they're very winnable. I know the Texans are playing well. Stroud probably hasn't seen a defense similar to this um, that much this year. I guess he saw Baltimore week one, but you know, week one's kind of <laughs> week one, we know is kind of an irrelevant. Uh, you're thinking the NFL, it's nice, but, you know, doesn't really tell the full story. That's still a winnable game. I know the, Tex- the Texans and the Jets are a very similar team, just one similar staffs. One team got the quarterback, the other did not. Uh, the Jets are far more talented than Houston, you know, overall. But, again, Houston got the quarterbacks. So they kind of figured it out. Um, Atlanta's not very good. Like, I, I don't know how else to, like, they're they're not good. Um, I don't think they're well coached. I think their quarterback play is horrendous. I think they have really talented guys they don't use really well. Um, like, most teams that have Drake, London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan, and Algier on an offense, like, should be really good. Their offense isn't. Um, their defense has a lot of – had a couple of nice pieces. Like, Jesse Bates – I've said, I said it for two years. Like I know he had a, he struggled two years ago more than he did, you know, the year they went to the Super Bowl was awesome. And then last year or two years ago, I apologize. Um, or last year, I guess it was, didn't have as good of a year, but like he's a ball hawk and like makes plays and, and all these different things. Um, I'd love to say the jets win these next two and they're six and seven. And at least you're like, can we steal one in Miami? Like in real in reality, like that's a real possibility. The problem is there's also a possibility the jets have a top four or five pick. And you're talking about like, can you pair Garrett Wilson with Marvin Harrison and Aaron Rodgers next year instead of Devontae? Like, that's also a real conversation. So, I guess if you're, if you obviously you're not a Jets fan, but if you were a Jets fan, like, what way are you rooting? What are you like? What do you kind of hope these next two weeks of the season? Because you win two of these six and seven, like you are alive. The AFC is really weird this year. We've seen, you know, I know Pittsburgh won, but Cincinnati's basically done. Buffalo's there's no way Buffalo unless Buffalo gets hot here like I just don't see a way with the schedule they're, they're irrelevant they probably more likely to lose 10 games than they are seven or eight um you know Miami kind of has the division wrapped up Cleveland's got a ton of injuries they look they're just not they're kind of in a jet situation where like you're kind of holding on for dear life trying to win 13 and 10 every week the Chargers are basically eliminated themselves like there is a, a path here that like as crazy as this sounds there is a path here for the Jets to be relevant again it's also a path like I said that you're looking at can we get a top five pick and either get one of the top two tackles, you know, or a generational receiver? Like, what do you what do you do here? I guess it is a good outcome either way. Look, I still you're trying to win every game, and, and especially you said starting this Sunday, Atlanta is not a good football team um, in any way, shape, or form. You mentioned the weapons; they also have like a pretty good offensive line, um, and it just does not matter. And I think they are built to run the football in particular, so you can pass rush these guys, particularly on the interior. 
like even Lindstrom, who's an awesome guard, like you can beat him. Uh, Derek Brown in Carolina gave him fits that entire first matchup those teams played. So like a Quinn in theory should do the exact same thing. The edge rusher should be able to get home on a Caleb McGarry. Jake Matthews is a pretty good pass blocking left tackle. But um, but anyway, like this is a very winnable game. And then on defense for them, like, yes, they have some guys like Jesse Bates that can, you know, return a 90 yard pick six of his own. But but the defensive line now without Grady Jarrett really has David Onyemata and, and some dudes kind of trying to make plays around him. Um, so it is a winnable game and you kind of get right back in the, in the thick of things. And yeah, the AFC is pretty wide open now. Like it helps that Houston lost because I think they're legit, but you know, a good loss for them could have won that Jacksonville game. The officiating in that game, we've already touched on officiating, but the officiating in that game was insane. Um, but yeah, so like, the season is not over. It's close. Like you said, I mean, it could be if you lose one or two more games and it is over, but right now it really isn't. So, you know, I think that is how you look at it. That's how you take it and try to make the Miami game meaningful as much as you can. And maybe Rogers does play in that game. And obviously that then changes everything. Um, and yeah, it's more like we were just talking pre-show with the bears. Like I'm not really capable of like going into the game being like, I want to lose. It's more after they lose, then I go watch some Marvin Harrison Jr. tape and kind of smile my way through the pain. Like, that's that's how you do it. So, yeah, if you do lose out, look at the Bengals in 2020 where they get Jamar Chase fifth overall because Burrow gets hurt. Or look at the Jaguars. I guess Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd and those guys have been meh. But, like, you know, like, you find solace in picking earlier than the talent on your roster probably should have you picking. And you get a, a difference-making player, which – the only reason why I'm saying like you don't need to like you want to root for losses and pick top five is like I think you're still getting even at 10, let's say six through 10, you probably could still get a blue chip left tackle or a blue chip wide receiver or like a Brock Bowers. Like those guys are still going to be there, I think, in the six through 10 range. And those are guys that can come in as a rookie and make a legit impact. Yeah. You look at one other example. I think we we just talked. We no one ever really talks about ever. It's like. The Cowboys figured out a way to like get Michael Parsons on a team that had no business because of injuries and things like that. No business being a top 11 team. And then they've rattled off again. We can talk about the playoff success all we want, but like they average like 12 and a half wins a year, the last three or three or four years. And Dak, like that should be in the MVP conversation more than Jalen Hurts. I'm not sure Jalen Hurts is rocking out like three for 15, for 42 yards in, in first halves and then getting tush push touchdowns until like, yes, he played well on, on Sunday in the second half, but like, I don't want to get in this whole debate. I just think that they they released something earlier today. Um, the guys with DVOA said the Eagles are like the fourth worst DVO, DVOA team to start 10 and one in the last like 40 years. And like only one of the top 20, including the Jets in 86 have ever even like gotten to the Super Bowl, let alone won it. So I'm very curious. Philly's got two weeks here in a row. I think they're really good. I'm just, I'm very curious because like, the season could be in a good way. Like they basically clinch the one seed if they win at least one of these next two, but like they also could lose to at Dallas and to San Francisco. And all of a sudden like San Fran and Dallas could both be the ones like, I don't know. It's just an, it's an interesting, the NFC sucks, but that is one interesting uh, caveat there. I'm kind of curious on, obviously the Jets are starting Boyle again. Um, I, I don't, I just don't get why, like I understand not starting Zach, obviously like <laughs> for a million different reasons, it makes sense. I don't get not starting Simeon. Uh, I don't, I don't understand this concept because like you could say Trevor Simeon's not good. Like I, I get it. I'm not, you, you watched Trevor Simeon last year, like, but not for nothing. Like he's going to get you probably 20 of 33 for two fifteen or two thirty, a touchdown or two and a bad pick. Like, I don't know. A touchdown or two sounds great. <laughs> like 
you know, I, I just don't, I don't really get it. And I don't, you know, Simeon and his time in New Orleans record might not have been great, but like the numbers were honestly really good. Last year in Chicago, the one start in a disgusting rainstorm in MetLife against an awesome Jets defense, like wasn't terrible. Like, I don't, what am I missing here? Cause Boyle, Boyle is what he is. Like good for him. You got to start. That's it. Even beyond all that, what I don't understand is like Simeon's mobile to where you can protect the offensive line and just have a bunch of boot rollouts and, and do different things. Not, not even design run, but you probably could do that with him if you wanted to, but, but more just moving the pocket and just doing half field reads and just keeping things very, very simple um, running out, you know, spamming play action and doing a lot of things Hackett likes to do anyway like that part, I don't really understand why you wouldn't want to lean into that. He's been there long enough where he knows what's going on now. Like that is no longer an excuse. But they what they had him to practice squad like six weeks ago at this point. Like uh, after the before the Chiefs game, that was week three. Yeah, so like two months now. Like there's not really a reason why he shouldn't be at least in the conversation. I, I mean, I guess he was the backup for this this past game, right? Yeah, but, and it kind of did seem like they asked Salah, "Is there a chance Simeon could play?" And he basically was like, "If things don't go well, like he'll play." Which then why is he just not starting? Like, that's I don't my get thing. It. Right. Why go short leash on the starter who's looking over his shoulder and just give it to Simeon? See, so, yeah, I, I don't really get that either. Again, not like you and I are sitting here saying it makes a massive difference, but like it could swing the outcome of a game against an Atlanta where the opposing quarterback is as good as Trevor Simeon is as well um, with the defense nowhere near the Jets defense. So, yeah, I, I don't really understand it because I think he, for me, why I think he works and is a good backup is because he can do, if you push all the easy buttons and, and do all the things where it's like, not really the quarterback, but they have the skill set and the, the athletic ability to do a lot of the, the easy concepts. Like, that is who Trevor Simeon is. I, I don't really get it either, frankly. Yeah, it's just it's just a little confusing to me. Um, well, we talk about, you know, there's a lot of the discussion of, you know, who's at fault here. Look, I think that uh, – and we talked a little bit about this in the last couple of weeks – I think everyone's back in 24. I think they're all getting a mulligan. I, I floated it out and I, I shocker people struggled to read the, the full, you know, full tweet that I don't think it'll be one of the, the names I mentioned. I was trying to give names as an example of there's a very real possibility that the, the way to finagle giving Hackett the red zone stuff, which he actually did a good job with, with Rogers and green Bay. Like I know he's been not good this year, but again, I don't know how much of that was Zach and, and some of the other things missing reads. Cause we saw some of that on tape as well. You know, promote you promote Hackett. He's the assistant OC, assistant you know head coach slash assistant OC, whatever it, you want to call it. And it's it's really just titles in the NFL don't matter because you know Hackett was the OC in Green Bay and didn't call plays. So, and then you bring in a guy that's likely you know you love to bring in some hotshot coordinator. It's not going to realistically happen. You're more likely bringing in as an example a guy like a Frank Reich in this situation or a Leftwich or. Now, Gruden would be awesome as a coach. Obviously, I know that can't happen. It's unfortunate just because of what's gone on. But as an actual coach, Gruden offensively is a genius. Um, or something of that nature to call plays. And basically, Rodgers will respect them. They're veterans that kind of stay out of his way. But you get a better mind in the room. Downing just doesn't really seem like, I don't know if you watched Tennessee last year, like it didn't, that didn't feel like that made a lot of sense. And again, like, I'm not saying that this is a perfect solution. I'm trying to think of realistic solutions as to they're not firing Hackett unless you get Hackett to say, I'm going to walk away. But again, I just don't think at that point it's, it's going to happen again. This offense would probably look pretty good with Rogers, right? Like he'd be calling, he would check out a place. The jets have missed a ton of checks this year. They don't side protections. Well, they don't do a lot of these different things. That's the hard part of having a Zach Wilson with, you know, a rookie center for a lot of the time and things like that, or McGovern that isn't really his specialty. Um, 
do you kind of see the same vision of it's everyone running back in, in 2024? And the one thing I wanted to kind of topple onto that is you saw Schefter, uh, Schrager, and other you know, other folks who are as plugged in as it gets, obviously, say about eight to ten potential openings, if not more. And I, I kind of get this sense we talked about in this the TOJ and Badland Slack of this is not the offseason. It feels like you want to be hiring a coach, especially giving a GM and a coach a six-year deal. Like there's just going to be so many hirings and firings. Like it's almost better to wait and then the hot shot candidate, if this doesn't go well in 25, you're probably like top of the list with options at quarterback and things like that. Right now, I just this isn't an attractive opening if they theoretically fired Sala and or Douglas. I don't see it for Sala. I don't think it would make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, I think there's just been too much good there. Yeah, there are things to clean up, but also, yes, a good quarterback masks a ton of deficiencies. And so, like, things are being, you know, brought into the light that would not, you we wouldn't be talking about if Rodgers was starting. And that, of course, isn't like a defensive coaching, but it's just a reality of the sport and, and the league. I agree, though, too. It is going to be an extremely busy, you know, calendar. I think we, we already have two, and I think there's going to be, like, I agree with those guys based on conversations I've had as well. Sal's name has not come up in talks I've had. I'm sure he's a fringe, you know, people say, oh, there's always a surprise type of thing. But I agree with you. We're a reorg. Look, Todd Downing in Tennessee, scripted drives were great. They were literally incapable of scoring a point after the scripted drive in, in a game. It was honestly astounding. Uh, we started betting their, their case like without a DUI. Well, yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we started betting Titans live unders every week and they were literally free money. So because um, they would score and then not score again the rest of the game. So. I think that's where I would look into getting a run game coordinator or a pass game coordinator that's actually going to elevate whatever they bring to the table um, with with a Hackett. Like when he was in Green Bay, he had Luke Getze, he had an Adam Stenovich more so. I would I would highlight Stenovich, uh, who I think is a phenomenal OL OL developer, a phenomenal run game coordinator. Obviously, again, the floor has that background of his own, but like that's how I would look at it. If you want, you know, 18 screens in a game, maybe you do give Luke Getzey a call uh, if he comes available. I mean, all jokes aside, just the ties back to the Jets. Was it insane? Yes. Was he calling that many screens? Because if he didn't, Justin Fields was going to take a million sacks. Also, yes. Uh, like, it's – we do need to understand that, like, play calling, even when it's annoying and frustrating, I'm not going to defend all of it, but uh, the, the the Vikings blitz 75% of the time, and Justin Fields averaged a 3.52 second average time to throw last night. He leads the NFL. Like, it's – it's similar issues to Zach where we can both acknowledge the play calling is not necessarily great or elevating the offense or helping the quarterback, but also say the coordinator probably also thinks if he doesn't do this, his guy is going to get murdered behind the offensive line. Um, so anyway, but yeah, so I agree. Retool some things, bring some more people in, change position coaches or, or stuff like that, I think is the way to do it. And yeah, more voices can help, and I think would be would make a tangible difference. Yeah, like there, there's a thing, couple of things with the Jets play calling that I think is more frustrating than others. I don't think all of it's bad. They do have some misses, like they had a great play action boot called, and, and Boyle just missed Rucker. That would have been a 15, 20 yard gain early in the game, and it's like the whole drive stalls. I do think the personnel usage, generally speaking, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it kind of feels like oh, two tight ends, they're going to run the ball. Like, and I know like. That's usually <laughs> what teams do, the heavier personnel. But, like, the Jets don't need to run always out of heavy personnel. Like, it actually benefits them to throw the ball a little bit out of heavy personnel because you have a guy in Conklin that is a good, you know, receiving tight end. And, you know, you teams are just assuming that. It just feels like sometimes you see guys come on the field and you're just like, oh, we know what's going on. It's just a little too predictable. So 
getting some more voices in the room again. I understand the lack of motion when Rodgers is in there. I, I mentioned this weeks ago. Rodgers isn't the quarterback right now. So like you can run more motion. I know Rodgers hates it. And like, that's fine. Cause he doesn't need motion to diagnose defenses. He doesn't. Tim Boyle does like Zach Wilson does these guys. These guys are not like, you know, sitting there and, you know, able to, they don't have enough live reps or, and, or the skill set to be able to do that. So uh, I want to kind of touch on two more things before we wrap here. And these are some bigger picture conversations. We talked about, you know, do you want to lose these games? Do you want to win, et cetera? There's a lot of the, I always use the Yankees as an example. Brian Cashman gets a lot of heat, uh, but Aaron Boone has to answer all the questions. But Brian Cashman does speak. Like, that's that's the difference. Um, it, it feels like the same thing with the Knicks, where it's like Leon Rose doesn't get any heat because he doesn't talk to anybody. You never see him. Whereas, you know, you know Thibodeau, whoever it is, when the Knicks are struggling, they're, they're a good team. I'm just saying whenever they're struggling, it's like, oh, fire Thibodeau. He sucks. And he's the one talking every night to the media and you see everything. He's the guy, the forward face, you know, the front facing guy. It feels like, again, not absolving Salah. Salah's made some mistakes for sure in game stuff. I don't think he's great with challenges and timeouts and things like that. Sometimes he doesn't, he's actually kind of gotten worse with going forward on fourth down. I feel like when, then when he should, things of that nature, all, all they're all fair, right? Like some of the quotes in the press, but I also feel like, he should get credit. Like he does get credit for a lot of these defensive developing, you know, guys they developed, whether it's a big money signing, like a DJ Reed, whether it's in, a, you know, coming in queue as a, a top three pick that was playing fine. Quentin Williams is now a perennial all pro or a Bryce Huff, a John Franklin Myers, a Quincy Williams, Michael Carter, the second sauce, like sauce is a top five pick. I don't know. You could argue corner wasn't the right pick there. They needed offensive line. They needed other things. They draft sauce. And he's a perennial all pro already. Like even in Tony Adams and Ashton Davis, like, Ashton Davis was terrible when he got here. And now he's like kind of a turnover merchant and he's like a productive player. So where are you just like, what do we do with this whole discourse around the Douglas and Sala and like, who's to blame? And like, I don't know. I just, it's kind of a, it's a tough scenario, but I, they both deserve blame. And I don't know. I don't really, I don't know why it's so hard to discuss. It's so hard to discuss across the league. Cause I think the biggest thing is like, we try to allocate, responsibility or praise for certain moves or fault or blame for other moves and like the reality probably is it's never that easy as just like this guy is why this happened this guy is why this was why this didn't happen but if you do kind of break it down like that like first of all hitting on first round picks is dope but like most gms should in theory hit on first you know, especially with the super- amount the amount of picks <laughs> and the spot in which the jets have drafted they've drafted in the douglas 10 year 11 2, 13, 4, 10, 26, and then 15. I think I'm right. Right, that's, that's correct. One. No, yeah. McDonald, the last one. Yeah, no, that all sounds right. So, yeah. So, like, look, like, Jermaine is, was, already looks like a very good pick for 26. Like, I'm not going to, you know, discount all of them. Like, I don't know, some people would say, oh, he's, like, not even, like, an every down player, like, all the time. Like, 26 overall picks can be, like, busts. Like, it's not, like. Especially I mean, pass again, rushers. Especially, right. Especially, that's a, that's a late pick for, for an edge rusher. So, so yeah, like there's there's definitely plenty of good there, but you can kind of look back and be like, okay, but like day two and day three, like how many great additions have really been made there? And again, that's not like not everyone's adding three players on day two and day three, but but probably a higher hit rate than what you've seen from Douglas thus far. Um, and you know, we mentioned Lazard signing, and again, it ties to Rogers, sure. But like like the thing that you mentioned that comes back to me is like a Quincy Williams. That to me is a coaching staff saying, Hey, let's go claim this guy. Sure, he's brothers of Quinn, and that's probably part of it. But let's go claim this guy. We like the ball of clay that is there. 
and then they bring him in and develop him. Like, I don't see how that's a, a, a Joe Douglas victory to claim a guy on waivers who then becomes a very good football player because he was coached up and developed by the coaching staff. So, yeah, I, I think fans just want – they just need a sacrificial lamb or they need to, like, give credit for each move to each person. I think right now you are, you've probably seen more of the success stories, more of the positives. I think you probably could tie to Sala maybe more than a Joe Douglas outside of – I think the trades he's made, you know, for the most part, getting rid of Jamal Adams, like all the various trades he's made have looked good. Um, even the Rodgers trade, like, you know, it wasn't super expensive. They did have to give up a potential first round pick, but hey, that condition ended up really mattering. Imagine if they didn't have that condition and they were sending the Packers a, t- a top 10 pick, you know, with, with the injury. So like, it has been good from both. They both could be better. Um, I mean, this is super reductionist, but it's also the truth. Like, Watch this roster with good quarterback play, and maybe they win 13 games next year, and 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 everything kind of changes in our perception. So I would say both have been good. Neither has been bad. Neither has been great. Yeah, no. I look. I think that's the biggest thing. I think the one critic, the two criticisms that I've it, look. Let's go to the tight end room. Like I, I know that the the former coaching, some of the former offensive coaches with the Jets really wanted Tyler Conklin, like not necessarily Uzama, and they signed both. And the Uzama contract's a bad deal. And the Conklin deal makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's making like 6 million bucks, like very much worth it. Uzama at 11 million bucks next year is obviously not worth it. So, and I, again, I just pushing back on like the, the Rogers GM stuff. I get the frustration. The only con, the only two moves I I've said this, I said this last week, I'll say it again, just cause I feel like falls on deaf ears. If you want to rip the Lazard move. And if you want to rip the, uh, the Hackett move, I, those are totally fair. And those guys, play every down or call, you know, and they're bigger money things. They're more, you know, long-term ripping the Cobb and the Billy Turner and Boyles. Like those guys were never supposed to really play at all. And they're one-year deals. And most of them like will retire after the year. So I, again, like, I don't, I just, it's hard for me to like totally rip those. Um, and not for nothing, like he wanted Odell and I know Odell sucked in the beginning of the year, but like now that he's actually his legs and kind of stuff, like he's back into like the groove a little bit. Odell would be pretty damn good on the Jets. Like, if we're being honest, like he's not an $18 million a year receiver, but he looks a lot more like the Odell of old the last two or three weeks where it's like he makes plays, he actually gets open a little bit, like he has a swagger to him and he's not just, you know, fighting everybody. So again, I'm not saying that the Jets offer was fair. I think, I believe from what I've heard, it was like year one for like nine and a lot of upside, which like was a fair deal. The Ravens deciding. You know, fair. That's yeah. more than fair. <laughs> Right, Sorry. so like I'm not blaming the Jets there. I'm just saying like, no. you know, not for nothing. <laughs> that, that that was fine. The one other thing I want to touch on was, you know, we talked a lot about leading the trade deadline, what the Jets should do, and I, I think where things have kind of gone a little wrong here, and the narrative is is gotten a little lost. Is am I mad the Jets didn't trade for Josh Jobs for a sixth? Not mad. I'm more annoyed that there was other the whole time we all we talked about is. Another option besides Zach, right? A viable, legit option. And Josh Dobbs for three or four weeks could have gotten the Jets two or three wins. Maybe they're at six and five right now or seven and four. And Josh Dobbs starts sucking for two weeks or three weeks. They they only win one of these next three games, but they've got eight wins. Rodgers is coming back. Now they're very much in the playoff hunt. And like, that's kind of where the, the frustration is. Or Ezra Cleveland, is Ezra Cleveland an awesome lineman? No. The Jets are shutting Xavier Newman, who's a fifth string at best practice squad level right guard, and is being cooked every the last three weeks. And credit to him, he had to come in and play center. He's a, you know, undrafted guy at a Baylor, you know, a year ago and et cetera. And like, 
I'm not beating up on the guy, but like he's not an NFL caliber lineman. And the Jets are on, I think they've had 11 or 14 different combinations over 11 games. Like they've gotten screwed with injuries. So getting a starting caliber right guard for a six round pick, you know, like <laughs> it's not the craziest thing in the world to ask them to do or, you know, just things of that nature, I think is is where you get fr- is the frustration from my end, you know, kind of lies. The other one that we haven't talked a lot about, and we'll talk about more in the off season is, a lot of the restructures and decisions around four guys this this past offseason slash during the year is where I feel like the Jets are feeling the most heat. It's the Uzama uh, restructure seems like an absolute disaster. Not cutting or trading Lawson when they could have during the draft or any time during the offseason would have saved them a ton of money and dead cap money next year. Um, you know, the other two that kind of come to mind is obviously the Corey Davis thing. No one really could have predicted, but it, it did feel like they could have just moved on from him, saved, I think, 10 and a half or 12 million bucks in the yep. offseason. Maybe you add somebody different there. Um, and lastly, the Dwayne Brown one, you know, could have been a post shoot in one cut, could have saved most of that and dead cap money going forward. So, like, am I crazy to make like I feel like we talk a lot about these other moves, some of the restructures or lack of like taking a flyer on you know, or extending Bryce Huff last off season, coming off a three and a half sack, 40 pressure a year. Now he's going to be a 10 or 11 sack, 80 pressure guy. And he have no, you don't have the restricted tender. Like there's just like little things like that, where I feel like, man, like that's where I'm kicking myself looking at this roster more than like, you know, wide receiver three with Alan Lazard. Like that, I don't know. Lazard was always going to happen. Like it's a two-year deal. Solid said the quiet part out loud the other day, said, you know, for the next year and a half on a four-year deal, which was, which was pretty funny. That is pretty funny. I missed that, but uh, yeah, that yeah. He is, said that he certain... said Allen's going to be a good player here for the next year and a half, and I was like, someone goes, "It's a four year deal." He's like, uh, "Whoops." Yeah, if you say so. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, and accurate. Uh, yeah, the first of the trade thing. Like, I do think we get lost in Josh Dobbs is a high variance player, so you are going to get some of the positives, the the right tail outcomes where he like not wins you a game, but uh, yeah, let's say it wins you a game. But you're also going to get the four interception, could have been six interception, and again, we talked about a pre-show. Two of those picks were not really his fault, but he could have had two other picks. One of them could have been a pick six from Jalen Johnson. Probably should have been. Why did no one trade for Jalen Johnson? Like he's very good. The offers were even stronger than I initially thought. And if the Bears don't get – let's talk about that decision. If they don't tag him or get an extension done, based on what I have been told they turned down at the deadline, it makes no sense. Um, And and, and anyway, so that will probably come to light at some point down the road. But uh, I'm not at liberty to say. But the offers were very, very strong, Um, at least in my opinion. So anyway, so so I I do agree with you. I I will say kind of to be like devil's advocate a little bit, there, but it's also an issue. The thinking there, I think, would again be like, hey, if Rodgers stayed healthy and Dwayne Brown came back and, and was okay, you'd look at it and be like, they made a bunch of one-year decisions and short-term decisions that does it hamper you long-term a little bit? Yes, but it was a worthy sacrifice because you were just doing everything you could to make 2023 matter and be important and all these things. The Dwayne one I would push back on, though. It's like the dude is 39 years old coming off of, what, both torn rotator cuffs? Like, I went to camp. He was off on the side field, hadn't even practiced yet. Like, you should have thought, hey, best case scenario, he's a swing tackle for two weeks in week 11 when Makai goes down with an injury. Like, relying on him to be really anything was an oversight. And then, like, yeah, the stopgap stuff with the huff, like, I get it, but – once you get McDonald, move on. Take take a fifth round pick and just move on. Like the way it's structured, no one over the cap. It looks like it's all prorated. 
it is, but if they traded him, I'm not getting into the weeds of it. But like, if you traded him, there's salary that is currently prorated that would travel with losses and, and would, yeah, and would kind of lighten their load a little bit. So, I I do agree with you. Like we we, we sometimes get lost in like the bigger, flashier moves, like a Lazard. A lot of the little stuff now, in hindsight, just complicates 2024 a little bit more. Or it's like you bent over backwards to keep a guy on the roster for a run that like really didn't even give you anything. Um, which, you know, Uzama Brown, like, like those type of moves. Yeah, no, I, the one, the one thing too, is like a lot of people didn't like the McDonald pick because it felt like it was a luxury. McDonald's been awesome. Like he's been better than like, he hasn't been any different. Like Carl, like he's what you would have like hoped from Carl Lawson, honestly, this year at all. So that's where it's more frustrating. Cause if you had moved off of Carl for a fifth round pick to the bears or someone, you know, as such in during the draft last year, and then you drafted Will McDonald, you're going, Oh, great. Now our core is Hoff McDonald. Jermaine and JFM outside for the next four years. JFM will extend slash take a pay cut. We'll extend Huff. We have Jermaine on a rookie deal for the next three years. We have McDonald's for five years. Like that made a way more sense. And now it's just like Lawson's kind of just like dead money sitting there. And like, damn, like, I, you know, I don't know about that one. I agree with you on kind of all those moves. It's just, you can't, you not. I'm not saying they're blaming, you know, Douglas fully. Cause like you can't predict AVT to get two freak injuries back to back years, like all these different things. Like, I get all that. McGovern was a great move to bring him back for a million and a half bucks. You know, it just feels like Tippman should have just started from from day one. You know, whatever. You, you, semantics there, obviously. The Dalvin Cook move, like, Dalvin's been better. They just don't ever use him. So it's like, you know, I don't know what we're doing here. They've had some nice UDFA fines slash not. Like, again, I'm not trying to beat up on Douglas. I just feel like some of those around-the-edges moves, you know, instead of having 30 to 40 million in cap space next year, it's like you have 65, 70 and it's like, now you can get Devonte and Marvin Harrison and let's go crazy and like have the craziest receiver room ever for two years and like go full Bengals in 2021, 2020 or 2022, whatever. So um, yeah, that's just kind of where I've just, you know, thinking a lot about that stuff or, you know, you could have, you know, packaged a pick this year and tried to move off Zach right away to Arizona, you know, back, you know, in, in April and said, hey, Kyler's not coming back. Take on Zach Wilson. You rebuild his brand. We'll give you our fifth-round pick this year, and we'll eat the money. You know, and, like, this year you're going in with Rodgers and Gardner Minshew, and, like, we're not having this discussion, and you don't, you're don't, you on the – you know, you're not you're not screwed for $11 million next year with Zach. So um, they they have to eat that money, right? Like, there's no way – like, no team's taking the Trey Lance. Like, I feel like the, the Cowboys took the Trey Lance stuff, but – like, I also feel like there was no tape, so it's a little easier to, to sell people in the building. You know, hey, he could be a viable backup. Like, I don't know. What, what are they doing with Zach? Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like the whole you part can, of the I just don't think you was... can just cut him. Like, I feel like you almost have to, like, try to trade him and say, like, take just... 50% and we'll take maybe yeah. out of 50 convert convert as much as yeah convert the salary down to the minimum or pay the roster bonus and trade him after the roster bonus that I, i'm assuming he has um as number two overall pick and just yeah take whatever you can get yeah probably um and i think you just have to like this is also where it comes back to just like just get him out of like we don't want to have more conversations and not, not a distraction that's too strong of a word but just like just have rogers and a boring run of the mill we know who he andy, is back and you have andy dalton backing him up and you yes. know you're gonna win yes. three of the seven games he starts the other two Bingo. moves and again and these are just like small moves but i wanted to just finish with this like it's just some of these other moves that i felt like like you're keeping michael carter over ty johnson we're like ty johnson's a pretty it's a much better nfl player than michael carter again does it mean does it win the jets more games no it obviously doesn't but you know probably the better move we're like 
you keeping Hamza Nazarald on the roster over a Blake Cashman, who Blake Cashman's going to be a pro bowler now this year. I know he couldn't stay healthy with the Jets, but like he's in the same system in, in Houston and he looks awesome and he's healthy all of a sudden. Or, you know, moves like that are like keeping a mid, like keeping Bryce Hall over Arthur Millette. Like, again, these are very small, you know, stupid moves. Shel- not keeping Sheldon Rankins. And then signing, you know, Quinn Jefferson's had some sacks, but him and Al Woods have combined. They were on the worst run defense in the NFL last year. And you bring him in and like Al Woods is hurt and Quinn Jefferson against the runs is tough to watch. And like Rankins was a, a leader here. And, and th- I know, again, these are not moves that are moving the needle more than a half a win total. Like, I get it. I'm just right. saying there's some of those that you look back you're like, damn, like it's unfortunate. You just feel like you made, you chose one door and it, it hasn't worked. Um Obviously, we'll you know we'll talk. I'll talk further in the week about this Falcons game. Um, any last thoughts on on Jets Falcons? Are we in for another ten to seven two thousand nine masterpiece here? And uh, the Jets went out a run after that game and, and won the next seven games into the super once the Super Bowl. I mean, went to the uh, AFC title game. But um, any uh, any last thoughts on this Jets Falcons game? Yeah, I do think it is going to be an ugly low scoring game. Like Ryan Nielsen, I think is going to have. Um, Terrell doesn't really tra- travel with Garrett, but I think he's going to have a plan for Garrett, bump him at the line, try to disrupt his route stem and do different things against him. Like, it's not going to be – this is not a sit-back-and-zone type of defense. Nielsen's pretty aggressive um, in, in what he does. It's very different than, than the Jets in some manners. I'm not saying either is good or bad. It kind of depends the personnel you're working with. But I think you need to run the football on this team. I, we probably said this the last couple of weeks, but I actually think because of the injuries they've had – you also can run the football. Like Anyamata is a very good interior pass rusher. I think he's an average interior run defender. You should be blowing Arnold Abiketti and 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 you know whatever uh, Bud Dupree etc. off the ball at the line of scrimmage with regularity. So you need to win up front on both sides of the ball in this game. Um, which also I feel like a broken record saying that. But but yeah, and also you know Drake London was awesome this past week. Maybe Garrett, you know, like a. Amon Ross St. Brown, the storyline that I'm could not be more sick of hearing. Maybe Garrett Wilson has, uh, he says, eight Drake London every morning when he wakes up uh, before going in, uh, <laughs> to practice because he wasn't the first receiver taken. But, like, you need to, you know, the linebackers need to play Kyle Pitts well. Like, it's, it's the, the Falcons, I think, are maybe the most, like, they're funnels on both sides of the ball. You know exactly what they're trying to accomplish, who they're trying to get the ball to, and what they're trying to do. Um you know, if they're not kind of doing the Arthur Smith, like let's get Johnny Smith cooking type type of approach, like you know who their guys are. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is actually the offensive line, like imposing their will on this defensive line, even with all the injuries. Like I don't really care. Like you should win that matchup, um, which which I'm not going to say most weeks. Yeah, the Jets likely will get Mackay Becton back. He'll probably start in left tackle. I'd start Carter Warren over Max Mitchell all day long um, at this point. Dwayne Brown may be back, and the West Schweitzer may be back at right guard. So the Jets line should look a lot better. How good? You know, we'll uh, we'll see on Sunday. Brad, appreciate you hopping on as always. We'll talk to you guys. Uh, we'll talk to you guys on Friday.